grape juice attacked me. <clears throat> I was, as soon as it happened, I said, man, I wish I had my nine-month-old, because then I could blame him, but <laughs> as soon as it happened, I was like, well, it's going to be okay. Uh, no damage to the microphone or anything, so we're good. Once again, it's good to be here. Uh, it's good to see familiar faces that I've always seen every time I've come here. Uh, it's good to see old friends, but it's good to see the new faces, the faces that, or if you have seen me before and I don't recognize you, I apologize. I'm, I'm horrible with remembering uh, people, but it, uh, again, it's just good to see old faces and new faces. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I thought I was going to have to jump the Bible class teacher this morning because he started talking about expectations and stuff. I was like, no, that's my sermon. That's part of <laughs> Started talking about when, when you get told no, and so you have that expectation because the title of my lesson is When Jesus Said No. And so, I, like I said, I thought I was going to have to come up and just drop kick him and it just keep him from taking over my lesson. But then he moved on rather quickly, so I didn't have to do that. Uh, I, ha I actually hijacked uh, this lesson from a preacher friend of mine. Uh, for those of you who don't believe in plagiarism, well, if you know a preacher, they plagiarize. I promise you that. A uh, buddy of mine down in Haynesville, <clears throat> Louisiana, Brother John Hines, he, he wrote a short article, and it was just a short one, and he titled it, When Jesus Said No. I said, well, that would preach. And so I read over it. And, I, and he has some good points. I said, well, I'm going to add a few. And so that's what I did. I just took his article and I turned it into a sermon. So we have eight short points uh, this morning. They're not very long. And then the lesson will be yours. But the reality is, is when you ask someone a question or you're making a request, and, uh, you, you want to hear yes. That's the answer we want. That's the, that's the sure, go ahead, that's that green light. Uh, I don't know of anyone who enjoys the idea of being told no. Uh, the, the word no is a word of disappointment. It can, it can at times be rather discouraging because it might not even be something that's necessarily negative. You're, you're requesting something that's good. You're making a request of something that's going to be helpful and yet you're still told no and we may not always know the rhyme or the reason or the the reason again the behind the scenes um, but sometimes we we have to understand that no is an acceptable answer and so if there's anything I want you to take from this lesson it's, it's these two simple concepts that no is a perfectly acceptable answer and point number two is is that we need to learn how to say no now us parents we we all know that right we, we, in fact sometimes our toddlers that's like their first word is is no because well that's all we tell them right we say no and so they eventually come back with no you know don't get into the cat no right so we understand that uh, but sometimes, let's, this is just far out in left field, extreme example. 
a loved one who's suffering some, from substance abuse. I can use this example because I've been there, okay? They're suffering from substance abuse, and they go to a family, friend, loved one. It doesn't even have to be family. It can be a friend, close friend. I need money. Now, you love this person. You care deeply for this person. You want nothing but the best for this person, but you know that they have a problem. Now, granted, because this is such an extreme example, although it's not that extreme, is it? I'm sure most of us know someone who suffers from some form of substance abuse, whether it's illegal drugs or opioids or, or alcohol or anything. Maybe it's someone who suffers from addiction of pornography and all they do is they waste their money on porn. I mean, it can be anything. And so it's not like, it's not that you don't want to help them, but at the same time, do you want to find yourself enabling them, just blindly giving them money without seeing whether or not they're going to be using it for the things that they need? Right? These are some things that we have to consider. So again, we, we need to learn how to accept no as an answer, but we need to learn how to say no. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. If you will, go with me to Mark chapter 11. And we actually have two in this one context, so we'll be knocking out two birds with one stone. Mark chapter 11. And, and I kind of referred to this this morning in our Bible class, or in the assembly, excuse me, in the assembly uh, lesson that I presented. Uh, but here in, in uh, Mark 11, and you look at uh, verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den? So the first example here is when people are defiling the house of God. And this is serious. You know, this is something that, and we can really go down the line, but you're starting to see it creep into the Lord's church. And I'm using that term very loosely in some of these instances where you have women preachers coming in. You have instrumental music taking place and you want to know how you stop all of that you say no you say we're not going there and, and the, here's another point that you can always think about it, it's a phrase and I appreciate brother Clarence Fell from Pine Bluffer saying he pre I remember him preaching a lesson back when I was a member there in Pine Bluff in fact that's where brother Jacob is this morning he preached a lesson on when in doubt, kick it out. And I stole that lesson from him too. <laughs> but when in doubt, kick it out. You know, and so 
there should be no leeway in these types of instances when people are starting to get away from the pattern that's set forth in Scripture for worship and glorifying God and edification of the saints, when we start to introduce innovation that changes these things, the simple answer is no. Now, people may not like it. People may not appreciate it. They may not even respect it. But in the grand scheme of things, are we more worried about what man thinks or about what God thinks? Again, we're talking about God. We're talking about Jehovah. We're talking about creator of all things, maker of all things. There was a joke that I had heard years ago, and, and I, again, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but I, I, I get the gist of it. But you have a scientist who says that he can create anything. Again, I'm giving you the shortened version of this, so just go with me. But I can create anything. I can make anything. And so he goes to pick up some dirt, and God says, no, you stop right there. You get your own dirt. Because God created the dirt. You, if you say you can make anything, then you go make your own dirt. But that's the problem. Man starts coming in and starts changing things. And Jesus here, he told them, he said, no, I'm not permitting you to carry around merchandise into the house of God. This is a house of prayer. So essentially, by his actions, Jesus told them, no. Second example this morning will be when people are not being honest. And we can sit right here in this very same context and go all the way down to verse 27. Verse 27 here in Mark 11. <clears throat> they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority... Are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so, again, what's the point? What's the point you're trying to make? When people are not being honest with you, do you think these people were being honest with Jesus when they approached him and asked, by what authority are you doing these things? By what authority, you know, who gave you authority to drive out these money changers, these merchandisers? Who said you could do that? Who put you in charge? Who made you God? Jesus was God on foot. He says, okay, I'll answer you as long as you answer my question. Let's just see who's being honest here. So Jesus stops them dead in their tracks, and he, he says, let's play this honest game. He says, you answer my question, 
I'll answer yours. And so they refused to answer. And so Jesus said, fair is fair. I'm refusing to answer. The answer is no. Go with me to John chapter 8. Many of us know this context. John chapter 8. Dealing with the adulterous woman. Although I've always questioned why we call it that. Because was the woman the only one that was adulterous? Was she the only one caught in adultery? No. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came into, again into the temple and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? So what does that sound like to you? It sounds like people, these people are trying to play with God's truth. Weren't they? If you go back with me to Leviticus chapter 20. Go back with me to your Old Testaments to Leviticus chapter 20. Let's just see what the law actually says. Leviticus 20 in verse 10 we read, If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife... One who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Hmm. Now you be the judge. You tell me what the problem is. Is the problem with Jesus? Did he somehow misunderstand the law? Or was it the scribes and the Pharisees? They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. That means that they caught her and the other individual in the act. The other man. Yet they brought the woman. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they may have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. I've always wanted to have that opportunity to have someone come ask me a ridiculous question and then I can just doodle on the ground. Because it's silly. They knew better. They knew the law. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. You want to know what Jesus just said? No. He just said no. We're not going there. 
I'm not playing this game with you. Because unfortunately, we have these games of words with people, right? How often have we told people that Mark 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not will be condemned. And yet people will say, well, it doesn't say, and believeth not and is not baptized. People want to play these word games with God's truth. Jesus is the one who said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. When we refer to Peter, uh, when Peter said over in Acts 2.38, repent and therefore be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. People want to try to play a word game with that word for and, and say that that means because of, because your sins have been forgiven. When that Greek word ice, and I'm no Greek, Greek, Greek scholar, but that Greek word ice has never been translated because of. Never. Not one time, and people want to argue in that context that it meant because of. Yet you go over to Matthew 26, 28, and you try to read that as because of. Actually, keep your tabs here, and let's, I'll just show you Matthew 26, 28, just to prove the point. Word gains will not get you anywhere with God. And when people start playing with the truth and start muddying the waters, there's no reason to, to even mess with it. You just need to say, no, stop right there. We're not going down that route. But you look at Matthew 26 and look at verse 28. It says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Now read it this way and see if it makes sense. Which is poured out for many because of forgiveness of sins. Did Jesus shed his blood because sins were forgiven? Or did he shed his blood for forgiveness of sins? That's the point. So when people want to sit here and try to play all these word games, no. When these men, when these scribes and Pharisees brought this woman before him and said, the law says to stone such women, Jesus said no. Now, would it have been a different story had they brought the man that remains to be seen. But they wanted to play word games. They wanted to play games with God's truth. And so Jesus says, no, we're not going there. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go and from now on, sin no more. So it's amazing how just by actions alone, you can stop people in their tracks. And they will go on because they realize that you're not going. You're not going to even play their little game. You're not going to touch it. You're not going to deal with it. So when in doubt, kick it out. Go back with me to Mark chapter 3. This next example is one that it can be a rather uncomfortable situation to find yourself in. 
because now we're dealing with family. This, this example is dealing with actual loved ones, those whom you are related to. But when your family attempts to pull you away from God's family, from your spiritual family, from the truth, that's when it really starts to hit home. That's when we really stop and think, well, this one time's not going to hurt. But let me tell you something. Once you open that door where you say that this, I, I can miss Bible study this one time. I know I told Brother Chrysler that I was going to show up to his house for Bible study, but I just, I can't do it today. My brother called and he said he needed, he needed me. And then you open up that door and so the next, upon the next example and the next example and the next instance and the next instance and what it eventually does is it creeps into your life where spiritually you start dying because you're no longer holding yourself accountable to God but you're holding yourself accountable to men. And then where do we find ourselves? Not coming to study, not coming to worship, not coming to sing praises, not to do anything. And so where do you go wrong? You go wrong by allowing family to pull you to and from. Here in Mark 3, let's just read this context real quick. <clears throat> let's look at verse 20 real quick. Verse 20, he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying he has lost his senses. He's lost his mind. Jesus' own family is saying, don't listen to him. Don't bother him. Don't deal with him. Let's get him. Lock him up. He's lost his mind. And then drop down to verse 31. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And answering them, Jesus said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Now, let's just stop for a moment, and let's just play a little game. You're sitting inside the house, and your mother's standing outside saying, come here. And your response is, who is my mother? And see what type of response you're going to get. Jesus asked the question, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is really putting this into perspective. He's not saying neglect your family, nor am, am I or anybody advocating that you neglect family. But what we are advocating is, is that you put things into proper order. You put your life in proper perspective. 
that God comes first in all things. That includes your family. And if you can actually live your life in an honest way and show them that, who knows, maybe you could influence them to do the same. But the problem is, is when people see that we are wishy-washy. How many of us in here like wishy-washy people? Any takers? I'll put it another way. Does anybody in here like hypocrites? Anybody? Why? Think about it. If your family sees that you can be pulled to and fro on a whim, that they can just call and say, hey, whatever has happened, I need you to come move my couch. And you know it's Sunday morning. You know it's time to go worship God. Why can't that couch wait until Sunday afternoon? But your family sees you drop everything and go move that couch. I know that's a silly example, but I'm just trying to make the point. Your family, what they see by your actions is that you don't take God seriously. You say that you believe God. You say that you worship Him, but you're willing to miss worship over a couch. And I can go on to different examples. We can use travel ball. We can use vacations. Oh, that's a big one, right? Vacations. How many of us, when we plan vacations, we plan to attend services wherever we're going? Ooh. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people say, well, I'm taking a vacation. So a vacay is a vacay. That's for everything, right? But here, Jesus says no. When, when your family is testing you, when they're taxing you, when they're taking you away from the disciples of Christ, we have to step back and we just have to respectfully say no. Now, I'm not saying go be mean to your mothers and dads and, and, and your siblings and your children. That's not what I'm saying. Again, it's about putting your life in perspective. And sometimes saying no is what's best for in the moment. Uh, go with me to Luke. Luke chapter 10. When cares of this life come calling. Here you drop all the way down to verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse uh, 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to, to his word. But Martha was distracted with all preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. In short, you want to know what Jesus said? No. That's essentially what he told her. But he did it in a respectful way. He said, Martha... 
You are worried and bothered about so many things. What was it that we talked about this morning? Be anxious for nothing. But she allowed the cares of this world, she allowed serving, and there's nothing wrong with serving. I, I hope you're not getting that either. There's nothing wrong with serving. But she's allowing the cares of this world and, and other things to worry her and to bother her to the point where she's being distracted from what's most important. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. So essentially, Jesus says, Martha, no. I'm not going to tell her to not listen to God's word. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to encourage her to listen to God's word. You know, sometimes this next example is a little bit different. Fall back to Mark chapter 5. This next example is one that if taken wrong, if not looked at from the proper perspective, could discourage somebody. Here in Mark 5, we have the example of a demon-possessed man who Jesus heals. He, he casts out the demons from this man. You, look, you drop all the way down to verse 18 we see he was getting into the boat and the man who, had, who was demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. This man is so thankful that Jesus has rid him of his demons that he wants to come with him. He wants to be with him. And what was Jesus' answer? In short, he said no. And so now, you know, in, in these other cases, we can understand why, why no was given because truth's being compromised. Our faith is being compromised, right? Trouble lurks. But in this instance, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. This man simply wants to accompany Jesus. He wants to be with him. He wants to be beside him. He wants to travel with him. Maybe it's because he's concerned that the demons will come back. I don't know. But the fact is, is he's making a simple request. Can I be with you? And Jesus tells him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So it's not that he just told him no. But he gave him instruction. He said, no, you're not coming with me. But what I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to tell the truth. Tell what's happened to you. Tell your story. Tell of how God had mercy on you. And so again, sometimes no doesn't always have to be a negative. But that's the way we take it because look at the society we live in. We live in a society where we are very prosperous. Our rich are super rich and our poor, in the grand scheme of things, it, the poor in our community is very rich in other communities. 
in other parts of the world. And so, again, perspective has to be key in this portion of the lesson. But sometimes no can be a positive thing because no, you're not ready yet. Jesus could have seen that he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for this type of task, for this type of uh, discipleship. Maybe he needed time to be at home, to heal, and to grow. But you go and tell of the good that's happened to you. Because I don't know about you, but when someone first becomes a Christian, they need time. They need time to really consider all of the things that's about to take place in their lives. The seriousness of what discipleship means. And of course, this isn't a lesson on discipleship, so I'm not going in depth on that. But maybe that's the reason. I don't know. I just know that Jesus essentially told this man, no. But he did give him further instruction. He said, you go and you tell of the good. Two more and then we'll be done. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. Social justice warriors. We love those, right? Luke 12, verse 13. Someone from the crowd had said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to share or to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? So two quick things in this point. Jesus has no interest in becoming an arbiter in the world. Again, what did he tell us to do? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but where? Where moth and rust destroy, but lay them up in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy. Man cannot have two masters, right? He's either going to serve one love the other but he you can't serve two masters you can't have it both ways but secondly Jesus saw this man's heart divide the family inheritance with me you tell him that's mine he has to give me what's mine and so Jesus essentially says no I'm not going there we're not going to have this type of discussion. That's not what I'm here for. Jesus was the one who said, I am not of this world. So why is he concerned with the cares and the riches of this world? He's not. Yet what's our security blanket? We focus so much on our security blanket and not enough on Jesus. Last point. Go with me to John chapter 6. This is one that for many may not like, may not appreciate, may not care for. And, and this is more so in lines with regards to the church. Here in John chapter 6 and, and verse... 26, we see, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because if you, you ate of the loaves 
and were filled. I know this to be true because I witness it almost daily. When I go out to the college in Monticello, the University of Arkansas at Monticello, I see big, giant, they're not billboards, but just signs that are made. Come to Bible class, come to worship, free food. If it said free spiritual food, I'd be all over it, right? Amen. But when you have to entice people with physical food, why do you think they are coming? I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. Think about what did Paul mean when he told Timothy, let not the church be burdened? Or I believe the King James renders it, let not the church be charged. What do you think he meant when he said that? What do you think he meant was when he asked the question, do you not have houses in which to eat or drink? And I'm not saying let's not take care of each other because in fact, I, I believe the opposite. I believe that we need to be willing to take care of each other. If someone's hungry, we need to feed them. We need to take care of them. But when we are enticing people to come to worship, on just the mere basis alone that you're going to get a fat potluck. Because I promise you, when you don't have a potluck, they're not going to be there. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with the preacher. I'm not going to name his name, but with the preacher at the other group in Monticello, and I've asked him, I said, what do you think would happen if you stopped these potlucks, if you stopped advertising like this, but you just promised people that you are going to feed them spiritually, you're going to teach God's Word, you're going to teach the truth, you're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. In fact, you can go ahead and turn to John 4, I'll be there in just a moment. You're going to do these things in truth. Would you have people coming? And he said, well, there's no doubt that a percentage would leave. I said, so how are they benefiting at all? Where's the benefit? So I'm going to flip back to, to uh, John 4 real quick. Verse 23 and 24. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. The Father, God the Father, Jehovah, He seeks out these people to worship Him. Who? Those who do it in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. These people... Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because of signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. It's one thing if these people were trampling Jesus down because heal me, heal me. Rid me of my illness. Take care of my blindness. Make sure, you know, people trampling him. Hey, come, this man cannot walk. This man is lame. He cannot talk. It's one thing if they were doing that for the signs. 
Now granted, in an instance, he fed the people because what? They were weary. They were tired. They had been following him for days. And he fed them. But it came to a point where they weren't coming to be fed spiritually. They were simply coming because he was providing good food. You bring, people, you bring people in with coffee and donuts, then you're going to have to upgrade eventually to hot dogs and hamburgers, and then you have to upgrade to steaks and baked potatoes. And Jesus, he stopped that. He said, no. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to what? Eternal life. Which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. If you go back to John chapter 4, you see in verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If that was Jesus' will, then what's ours? What should we be doing? What should our attitude be in regards to faithfulness? What about to holiness? What about to righteousness? These are all things that we have to consider in our lives. Because if we don't, once we hit the tombstone, once we die, there's no coming back. And if we miss heaven, we miss all that there is. So if there's someone here this morning who has yet to put Christ on in baptism, who has yet to believe on Him as being the Son of God, and you're ready to make that good confession that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, to repent of your sins and to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Why tarryest thou? Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you need to call on the name of the Lord this morning, we're here to help you any way we can. But if there's someone who's already done that, maybe you realize you have sin in your life or you need the prayers of the congregation or you need to talk to someone. Whatever your need is, we're here to help you. Won't you come to this public invitation?